Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 159 for August 29th, 2008. Is Vista safe? Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com slash security now. And by Visa. With every purchase, Visa prevents, detects, and resolves online fraud. Safe, secure, Visa. It's time for Security Now, episode 159, the one I've been waiting for for some time. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to our major domo of security, the <laughs> king of lockdown, Mr. Yay! Stephen Gibson, <laughs> uh, host uh, of uh, GRC.com, uh, Gibson Research Corporation, creator of SpinRight, uh, and a guy who's really done a lot to forward the, the idea of security. He's the guy who put Microsoft's feet to the fire over raw sockets. He discovered, <laughs> he discovered uh, spyware and coined the term. And on and on and on. Of course, the, also the creator of Shields Up, which is right as of right now the most used test of firewall security in the world. Hi, Steve. How are you today? Hey, Leo. It's great to be back with you. And we've got more goodies coming. I'm working. I'm just having the time of my life writing code. There's nothing I like better. So I'll have another chunk of code result ready for our listeners here in another week or two. Oh, so that's exciting. That's, that's really gonna exciting. Be very, very cool. Um, this week, we're going to talk about what we mentioned, I think, first two weeks ago and then reminded people of last week. There was a presentation other than Dan Kaminsky's, believe it or not, on, you know, Dan, of course, told us about what his discovery was earlier this year on DNS spoofing. Um, there was another presentation, which I'm not, let's see it. The actual title of the paper was Bypassing Browser Memory Protections. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I call it the Vista Security Bypass. So that we're going to talk about. I've got a bunch of security news. And, Leo, the SpinRight testimonial to end all SpinRight <laughs> testimonials. In fact, I'm a little concerned that no one will ever again bother sending one in after they have heard this one. Wow. But I, I mean, I really, I still want them, folks. But this one, nothing I could say could prepare you for this. It came in over the weekend. Greg, my tech support guy, said it to me. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Wow. So, I can't yeah. wait to hear that. So we're going to talk about... Go ahead. That is that is not too much of a buildup, believe it or not. So. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll be the judge of that. I don't know. That's a pretty big buildup. That's fine. I accept your judgment. We are uh, we are going to uh, talk about Vista. Is it really safe or not? Is it really locked down or not? And what does this discovery mean? In just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you, since we're talking about security, that when you go online shopping, there is one thing, one word you must keep in mind when it comes to security. And that is Visa. We're talking about protecting yourself online when you shop by using your Visa card. Visa has amazing systems in place to detect 
to resolve online fraud, to prevent it. They're very good at this. They couldn't be better. Uh, and I, I think that this is really, if nothing else, just a reminder that there are many ways to pay online. Uh, I've used some of them. We won't name any names. <laughs> some not successful. Some successful. not so good. With Visa, when you buy something with Visa, they stand behind you, the customer. So the next time you go shopping online, take your Visa card with you. Safe, secure Visa. That's all you have to remember. Thank them for their support, too, of uh, Security Now. They wanted to be on yeah. Security Now because they knew that uh, people were very security conscious on this show. That makes it a great marriage. It yes. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it is. So, um, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you noticed, but I came in this morning. This is not a Patch Tuesday. I got an update, a critical update this morning. Yeah, well, Microsoft, remember I mentioned last week that some seem to be drifting in a little bit yeah. late. Um, it, it does. It was confirmed that Microsoft messed up some of the patches from the from the first shot on Tuesday, and so they were amending them and making some further changes. So yes, they have been. You know, some other things have been drifting in uh, more recently. I didn't look. It didn't require a reboot, but uh, but I and I but I didn't look and see what it was. So yeah. so in other words, others may have gotten that last week. It's just they're kind of rolling them out slowly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, the big well, there's 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 a couple interesting things. The 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 potentially most interesting news of the week was a story that was picked up by a number of of computer journals. I don't know if it's made the popular press because I know that Information Week, ZDNet, and the Register in the UK picked it up. There was a, a Polish security researcher by the name of Adam Gaudiak. I guess I G O W D I A K. Um, he claims and nokia has since confirmed that he found two serious security vulnerabilities in the 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 java mobile technology uh, j2me which is deployed in nokia series 40 handsets of which there are more than a hundred million wow now you'll remember last week i said radio is bad yeah, um, <laughs> anything broadcast is risky. Any, yeah, radio is bad. I mean, yes, it's useful. Yes, we use it. We, you know, because it's 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 so it's so handy and so potentially beneficial that it's like, okay, well, how bad is it? Well, in this case, Nokia is very unhappy. This guy actually was holding them and and son ransom to the tune of twenty thousand euros. He wanted 20,000 euros from each of them, which is just shy of about 3,000 U.S. dollars at the moment, um, before he would tell them what he found. But he told them enough. Apparently, um, there are remotely executable exploits um, in more than 100 million Nokia Series 40 phones. Those tend to be low-end handsets that are using that particular um, uh, run of, of the uh, the the java system which if you know the phone number you can without any permission required or knowledge from the handset's owner you are able to install and run any code remotely that you want so that's not good that isn't good that's not good. <laughs> that's terrible that's, ter so, that's terrible <laughs> <laughs> so nokia is scrambling around running around trying to figure out how they can mitigate it what they're going to do you know i mean this is in a hundred million low-end handsets Unbelievable. yeah so you know this is what happens and again it's it's I, I i did smile a little bit because i thought well okay this is bad 
but so is radio. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's risky. Yeah. yeah. So the other news, and when I saw this, I checked. Um, Opera is getting a lot of updates, and there's another one. So anyone running Opera, uh, check your little uh, under the help deal, you know, check for updates, and you'll find if you're not already on 9.52, that there is now 9.52 ready for you. Um, on the Windows edition, that update fixes seven flaws, five in the Mac, and six in Linux. So there's a bunch of stuff. They've been, most of what they fixed, they've revealed, but they're being coy in one case where there's some sort of a, a cross-site scripting vulnerability. We did a whole episode on Security Now um, a while back on, on cross-site scripting that essentially allows various sorts of exploits to be pulled off with the with the benefit of of stuff from the browser getting into a website and confusing the the code that runs on the website in a way that allows you to you know like like get your credentials messed up or or spoof who you are to another site and so forth anyway it's a bad thing so you definitely want to get that fixed and one last little bit on the DNS flaw that I that I picked up I thought was very interesting um, this the, the DNS flaw that we've spoken about now for several weeks um, was act is is Dan says is actively being exploited. Although there's not a lot of people talking about it, it's the kind of thing now that you know ISPs are not going to be probably anxious to blab about. But in the in the case of a Chinese, a large Chinese ISP called Chinese Netcom, there was an exploit against their name servers that I thought was rather clever. And that is, somebody is injecting mistyped domain names, hmm. similar to Amazon or Google or Microsoft or or those. And if you think about it, you know what we've everything we've been talking about was the notion of overwriting valid domain names with something else. Well, there's nothing to prevent you from injecting. You know, like making up domain names that don't even exist in, for example, in the in the dot com servers. Right. The same spoofing attack would allow you to deliberately create every kind of misspelling of Microsoft that you can imagine someone might make, and just stuff a, a an ISP's name server with all those misspellings. And in this case, in every case, they direct your browser to an IP. That, uh, that brings up a page which attempts to exploit all the most recently disclosed and, and, and fixed, but still maybe not patched in, for example, Chinese machines, which we know tend to lag behind the patch levels of, of, of Western machines, just as a consequence of you know, the machine's heritage and software and so forth. So I just thought that was an interesting twist on, I mean, they're, they're using the Kaminsky approach of of you know jamming records into a dns server in this case they're not replacing valid ones they're they're filling the server up with all kinds of mistypings so that someone makes a typo and rather than getting sorry we couldn't reach that site they are exploited right that makes sense and you know this isn't this isn't really a new idea uh people have been exploiting typos for a long time you mistype amazon you're sure you're sure to get something else related or a or a advertising site or something like that, right? But, but this is a new switch, a new thing on it. They really kind of that's very amazing, boy. 
I have okay. uh, I have a security story that I uh, just saw oh. that I thought you might be interested in. And there's nothing you could do about this but shake your head. According to eWeek, a laptop sold on eBay contained personal information about more than one million customers of the Royal Bank of Scotland, American Oof. Express, and NatWest. The information included historical data related to credit card applications, and you know what's on a credit card application, and data from other banks. They wouldn't say more. Um, it's, it's just stunning. Just stunning. Sold on eBay. A former employee sold the computer earlier this month without removing the information. It was an employee of a third-party archiving firm. So these... Ooh, these no yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that good? Wait, I wonder what it was doing on a laptop. I mean, why would... Because if they're a third-party archiver, then they're archiving, you know... It shouldn't I, be on a laptop. <laughs> highly, yes, highly confidential information on behalf of their clients. And, oh, boy. According um, to the Daily Mail, it was being held by a company called Graphic Data. They're an archiving firm. They copy paperwork. Oh, I know why. They scan the paperwork. This is paper that they scan in. And okay. maybe the laptop was being used to do that. An intermediate? Ah, it contains still... names, addresses, mobile phone numbers, bank account numbers, sort codes, credit card numbers, mother's maiden names, even signatures. Everything you need. Every, every, it's a kit. You say identity theft. <laughs> it's yeah. a kit. Thank goodness the person who bought it uh, said, whoa, <laughs> and didn't use it. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable okay leo i'm gonna calm down i'm ready (laughs) but wait wait. Uh, okay go ahead do that and then we'll do the uh, then we'll talk about audible i I, I don't want to keep people in suspense any longer okay now the subject line you know it's like okay maybe this is a little overinflated subject says spin right six saves eight lives (laughs) okay it's like okay (laughs) okay okay because of the nature of this email and what it contains I would like to stay anonymous. Thus, the email address I used. Actually, this was sent. I won't even read that because he might not want to get a response. Yes. Uh, you can use this on security now, though there are no names and the geographical location is not important. Just know it is terrorist country. Oh. We, we are 50 miles from the safe zone and have to cross a quarter mile deep by 10-mile-wide danger zone containing landmines. But we aren't really sure where they are. We have two injured men, one who can't walk and has to be carried on our backs. We take turns doing this. Wow. Here is, here is the story. I am part of a six-man team deep into terrorist country on a rescue snatch-and-grab mission. Holy cow. It, it has been 10 days and we made it 45 miles on foot to our destination, where we had to complete the mission, then cross the quarter-mile danger zone lying somewhere ahead in the next five miles. We started out with three Panasonic Toughbooks, the tablet PC style, and one was quickly shot by small arms fire. Three de- <laughs> Even a Toughbook isn't going to oh. survive that. Oh, no, get this, half the screen did. Anyway, one was quickly shot by small arms fire three days into the mission, and the screen was hit. Even though it still worked on half the screen, we trashed it. That is a tough book. (laughs) And and took the hard drive out of it for security reasons. Another one 
was used to defend against an attacker with a large stick in his hand, but the, <laughs> but, but the laptop still worked, or so we thought. It was, po- it was powered on at the time of using it as a club oh. to hit someone over the oh. head, oh. And, and the hard drive was damaged. The third one was lost when we had to egress quickly, leaving us with only one laptop, the one used as a club with an unknown-to-us damaged hard drive. Holy cow. On the, rescue mis- uh, on the rescue, like most missions of this nature, to say they don't go as planned is an understatement yeah. at best. Yeah. We were down to one laptop for the mission, and we badly needed it for communication and GPS navigation. Although we have handheld GPSs, in the infinite wisdom of the people in command of this, the solar panels we used to charge everything only worked for the laptops and radios, not the handheld GPSs. <sighs> so, so they were out days ago. So we completed the first half of the mission. Now we had to get back. That's when the problems arose. I was like, oh, <laughs> So, that's, so when that's, the pro- so, that's when so, they had problems? So far, this is business as usual. It probably is for these guys. Do you, do you think well, this is legit? I do. Uh, you'll, you'll see. There's a lot of facts here. And, wow. uh, and this is a SEAL team, he, he, he mentions in a minute. Oh, my goodness. So 30 miles into the trip back, the laptop crashed, locking up. And when it was rebooted, we got the please insert boot media message, and we were screwed. We had the hard drive from the other laptop that was damaged three days into the mission, and since it was from the same model laptop, it worked fine when placed into the last surviving machine at first. Then it gave us the BSOD, <laughs> the, of course, the infamous blue screen of death. Now, remember, there are eight of us, two men injured, one who has to be carried, and the other six of us. This mission had to be completed. A SEAL never leaves a man behind, even if they are dead. So we kept moving because we had to. One of the men knows of a village two miles from our current location that might be able to help. We go there, having no other choice in the matter. We have to have that GPS, or we have to go at least five miles out of the way closer to enemy soldiers, or cross the minefield with no GPS to guide us through the safe parts. Not good. At the village, we find someone with satellite internet. He says, Preds, this is where the small size of Spinrite is a blessing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he, say, <laughs> he says, and we, we use a VPN to try to communicate with command to let them know what the problem is. But we can't establish an uplink since we're getting such low bandwidth. Well, he's going to be needing CryptoLink here before long. But for the moment, we don't have that. Uh, so because they can't get in, they're getting such low bandwidth, they cannot establish an uplink. Right. And we, and we didn't have the cables we needed to plug in the sat phone and use its modem. So we had to call command and let them know what the problem was. There was nothing that, so we had to call command and let them know what the problem right, was. Right. There was nothing that could be done. We weren't even supposed to be in this country in the first place. Oh man. So I decided to try to buy Spinrite. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a credit card with him? 
and try it right there on the spot. Oh, my goodness. He says, I am the geek in the bunch. Yeah. So the, so the others, two of which are jocks, unquote, don't believe it will work. We didn't have a credit card of any kind or anything else that might identify us, of course. So we asked the owner of the house, and he said yes. But 100 U.S. dollars was the max he could spend a month and had already spent most of that on supplies for their store. Oh, boy. So we were screwed again. Oh, boy. Or were we? <laughs> I went to a dangerous, illegal, underground pirate site and found an illegal copy. Sorry, GRC. <laughs> At least he tells the truth. <laughs> At the sat phone's very low data rate, it took eight minutes oh. to download the pirated copy of Spinrite. And he says, Perens, sorry about stealing it, but it was a life or death situation, and I bought it later. I'm sure you don't mind, Steve. Of In fact, not. had you known, you would have, would have you know, oh. sent it to him immediately. I'm wondering if we need to put on the e-commerce system an emergency seal rescue team free <laughs> discount button. Wow. Oh, he said we had blank CDs, so using Spinrite to create a boot CD was no problem. I booted the machine with Spinrite, ran it at level 4 on the 20-gig hard drive, and it found about 12 red U's and recovered 10 of them. After nearly four hours of repair, Spinrite was finished. The computer booted up correctly, and we were able to use it to navigate across the minefield oh, to safety. Goodness. Later, we learned that the enemy was only two miles behind us and surely would have caught us if we had to slowly navigate the minefield probing for mines while covering the quarter mile distance or if we had to go completely around the minefield. There is no doubt that had we been captured, we would have been tortured and killed for sure. So Spinrite 6 saved eight lives that day, in my opinion. Thank you. For your great product. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It You're welcome. Now, it is now an unofficial piece of the toolkits many SEAL teams have with them on every mission. Purchased by the team leader since the higher-ups don't want to buy a site license for whatever reason. It is run on every single computer we use before we leave. And any hard drive having even one red U is discarded and replaced after we get back. Just to be sure, this never happens again. Wow. The IT guys here know about this and have been pushing this for some time now, but it just, quote, isn't in the budget, unquote. Well, now maybe they'll reconsider that. Again, you can use this on security now. I have left out names and locations on purpose. Please don't try to guess the location or anything like that on the show, but you can talk about it. Wow. You think that's real? I don't know. Wow. Somebody has a very good imagination if it's not. Yeah, uh, and lots of details and so forth. So, Man. Yeah, um, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, a lot of the information, you know, Panasonic, Tough Books, they, they obviously they, they, they needed them for communications and, and navigation, so they had redundant Tough Books. They had three, and as he said, these things don't go, they never go the way you expect. And yeah, That's you know, the truth, yeah. Plan got shot. Every plan is uh, immediately just thrown out when you engage. And he had to he had to elk a bong somebody with another the, one. So. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. The uh, I just checked. Uh, or somebody in the chat room sent me a link. The uh, Navy does use tough books. Uh, well, so I mean, I'm sure they have cool. mil spec stuff, but uh, yeah. And wouldn't you think maybe solid state drives would make sense in this case? 
Would they be? Would they be more uh, resilient to uh, use oh. as battering rams? Yeah, I mean, you got to bonk someone over the head. It wouldn't yeah. hurt a solid state no, drive. No, no moving parts. But then they couldn't yeah. use spin right. So, well, they wouldn't need spin right. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'd rather that they stayed alive. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, good. What a story. That is. Oh. That yeah. is very dramatic. Uh, oh. And uh, and if it's true, thank you for uh, sharing it with us, and uh, thank you for your, uh, your your contribution. Well, I presume the person our, who wrote this, country. hopefully truly a Navy SEAL, will be hearing his story read by us, since he clearly is also, as he said, he's the geek in the squad and a Security Now listener. So I thank him for the mission, and I am yeah, sure no glad that, uh, that it worked out. That must make and, you feel uh, pretty good. <laughs> It's that's very wow. cool. Yeah. <laughs> your 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 software was used uh, to save lives, eight lives. Now, as I as I said, I still want to hear from people whose photos we save. <laughs> Holy because, cow! Because that matters too. Uh, that's uh, that you you know what you 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 I I thought you, you know you you were building it up too much. You know, there's no way you could live up to what you uh, you you were right. You couldn't possibly build that up too much. I was. Um, that's that's an amazing cool. story. Thank you for sharing that with us. I almost hate to do this, but uh, it's time for an Audible book recommendation. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> there are stories, there are true stories about Navy SEALs on Audible, if that's, what you, if that's what you're interested in. There's all kinds of stories about all kinds of things. How about this? Leadership Lessons of the Navy SEALs. Now, see, you listen to somebody like that and you figure... Man, they they know a thing or two about getting the job done, about not giving up, about persistence. And I love it. No man left behind ever. And that's exactly uh, what this this book is all about. And I guess if you were in business, this would probably be useful, too. Uh, This is um, it's called Leadership Lessons of the Navy Seals. Narrated by Michael Pritchard, who does a great job. Written by uh, Jeff Cannon, battle uh, battle tested strategies for creating successful organizations and inspiring extraordinary results. Now, see, this is the beauty of Audible. I just went in and I typed Navy Seals, and I came. <laughs> because up, they are pretty quick on the trigger with this. They Audible has yeah. everything in here. You know, they have uh, fictional stories of the Navy Seals. They have uh, they have this this actually, which is not a fictional story. They have memoirs. Combat Swimmer, Memoirs of, Memoirs of a Navy Seal, True Honor. Um, ah, this is this is pretty cool. Audible has fifty thousand titles. Here's the, the the point. This is a full bookstore of audio books, books you listen to. You don't read, you listen to. But I'll tell you the experience. Well, you heard the experience of listening to Steve read that story. It's much more dramatic than the written word on the page. It comes to life, and the actors that Audible uses, the people they use for reading are such masters of bringing words to life. You're, you're going you're gonna to feel like you're actually watching these books unfold. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. That's the place to go to sign up today. You'll get a free book. It could be any book in the Audible collection, including uh, the one I just mentioned, which I, you know, now that, I, now that I've heard that story, I think I'm going to download and read. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. Get the lessons, the leadership lessons of the Navy SEALs by Jeff Cannon. Or any of any of hundreds of other wonderful, wonderful books available from Audible.com. Highly recommend them. I'm an Audible listener. I have been since 2001. I can guarantee you, you're going to be glad you joined. AudiblePodcast.com/slash/SecurityNow. We thank him so much. 
for their support of the Security Now program. All right, Steve, it's time to get to work here. We have uh, we have a lot of people who heard about this presentation at Black Hat, or was it at DEFCON? Uh, it was Black Hat. It, DEFCON follows Black Hat, but Black Hat's like the more serious one for security professionals, right? And DEFCON's kind of open to the public. Yeah, and and this was okay. This is an, an extensive paper. I'm going to run through and summarize essentially what these guys have done. It, what th- their work, however, is very solid. Um, I first picked up on this from a, a little blurb uh, that someone sent me from uh, Bruce Schneier's log, where he had picked up on this, and he said, this is big. It had since, th- there were some some follow-on where people were sort of poo-pooing it, saying, eh, th- this really isn't that big a deal. Um, but once again, this demonstrates, in my opinion, that Bruce gets it, as he always does about security. This is big. This is still, this is still, sort of leading edge fringe capability. But that's the way these things always start and they always evolve. I'm going to read just the the introductory paragraph from this paper to give our, our listeners a sense for for the content of this. It says because again, this is this is serious, you know, corporate level, really beautifully put together work. Over the past several years, Microsoft has implemented a number of memory protection mechanisms with the goal of preventing the reliable exploitation of common software vulnerabilities on the Windows platform. Protection mechanisms such as GS, Safe SEH, DEP, and ASLR, all of which I'll explain in a second, complicate the exploitation of many memory corruption vulnerabilities and at first sight, present an insurmountable obstacle for exploit developers. In this paper, we will discuss the implementations and limitations of all aforementioned protection mechanisms and will describe the cases in which they fail. We aim to show that the protection mechanisms in Windows Vista are particularly ineffective for preventing the exploitation of memory corruption vulnerabilities in browsers. This will be demonstrated with a variety of exploitation techniques that can be used to bypass the protections and achieve reliable remote code execution in many different circumstances. And they have done that. So, so stepping back a little bit, first of all, I wanted to remind our listeners, or maybe those who have been listening since episode 67, meaning they never heard 66, 66 was our episode entitled Windows, 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 I like Windows, it. Windows, 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 Windows Vista Security, mm-hmm. and and we laid out during that that podcast that netcast. I'm going to try to use the word netcast from now, and I see you're using it uniformly, Leo. I, I, well, I'm not using it uniformly. I use it all at the podcast all the time because oh, that's kind okay. of colloquial. But I do prefer it because what are we doing on the Twit Live thing? It's not a podcast. Right. It is a netcast. So I just like the idea a little better, you know. So anyway, on episode 66, we we sort of basically covered in in very good depth and detail the two main new features in Windows Vista, DEP, which is data execution protection. And in fact, I have mentioned that in some subsequent podcasts. So if you just did a search on the Security Now page or, or search GRC, in our own little built-in search tool for DEP, 
data execution protection, you'll find our security re- our our references to that in in Security Now podcasts. The other mechanism is ASLR, um, address space layout randomization. Um, both of these are intended to to go a long way toward thwarting um, exploitation of various types of vulnerabilities. Now, over and over and over, the problems we see in in vulnerable software are are problems with um, pointers not being checked or buff- the the very common buffer overrun problem where essentially some software allocates a certain amount of buffer space sort of dynamically that is the you you the code jumps into the routine and it wants to read something or get something fetch something from outside so it will it will allocate some buffer space many times it's on it's on the the software stack which is is a is a, a variable size sort of scratch pad area that software is able to use and then the the program will say you know give me the data that i'm expecting well programmers typically say oh they they know what expected data size is and very very careful programmers will go to some lengths to limit the amount of data that they copy into the buffer i mean it only makes sense if you if you say okay i'm setting this much space aside then I want to bring the data into this buffer, and naturally, you don't want to bring more data into the buffer than the space you've made available. Well, it turns out that, for whatever reason, this is probably the most common of all vulnerabilities, is an attacker will find an instance in some vulnerable code, a particular function, or some way of invoking a function and giving the code data that it doesn't expect data that it isn't prepared for data that that you know causes it to behave in a way that allows other data that the program that, 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 that the malicious hacker supplies to be put somewhere in memory where it wasn't intended and then after that to cause that code to be executed so basically what we have is a a an ongoing cat and mouse game with with Microsoft and the developers of Windows versus the bad guys. And so, you know, one thing gets done, the, uh, someone figures out, a bad guy figures out how to exploit something, Microsoft looks at the exploit and and says, okay, you know, we're, we're going to fix that. Well, so all the patches we're constantly getting, these things that are, you know, every every second Tuesday of the month, where all these patches, these updates, are specifically new problems of exactly this sort that have been found in specific instances of Windows. The problem is Windows is so vast and is so large um, that it's it's well and, and frankly so capable. Many of these things are are resulting from the flexibility that Microsoft has often deliberately, sometimes inadvertently put into windows for example we and we've talked about this in many episodes of security now it's possible for a browser to invoke an ActiveX control that never was useful in a browser context it is it isn't something that you would normally expect a browser to load but windows will do it for you so if anywhere else in the system 
an ActiveX control, which is really just sort of a, a, a specific type of DLL, if a vulnerability is found in one of its functions, then someone can create a web page that tells that to load and give that function some data that it isn't prepared to accept the way it's given, and that will allow them to inject their own code through the internet, through the browser, into this vulnerable object which has been found in Windows, anywhere in Windows, essentially. And and due to the fact that there's this vulnerability, they can they can end up running their own code, thus take over the system remotely. That's that's a remote code exploit. Okay, so for years Microsoft was in this Okay, look, you know, we're going to fix everything that we can find that's wrong. The problem is they're always playing catch up. They're, you know, that approach is always reactive. Microsoft finally began to get actively proactive with X, first with XP, further with Service Pack 2 of XP, and then again with Vista by essentially by incrementally making these things harder to exploit. And so, as you heard in the beginning of this paper, what, this, what, what, these, what these research hackers have done is to carefully look at the various mitigation efforts Microsoft has implemented over time and, and looked at, okay, how do we get around those? So, for example, example data execution protection, DEP, what it does is it is is a technology available in microprocessors since 2004. That is, it's, it's a software technology, but it relies upon a feature called the NX bit, the no-execute bit, which was not available in, a, in flat memory model, which is what Windows runs in ever since Windows 3.1. The 16-bit the versions of Windows were segmented model architecture. Oh. There, in, in the segmented architecture, you could mark segments as non-executable. But due to sort of a design um, oversight in the Intel architecture, in a flat-mapped memory model, which is what we have in 32-bit Windows, mm-hmm. you are, you're not able to mark individual um, pages of, the, of that memory as non-executable. So we had to wait for another generation of, of microprocessors from Intel that would offer the so well, and AMD that would offer the so-called NX, the no execute bit. And so the idea with DEP is that only the memory that is expected to have code in it would be marked as executable. And so data memory, like for example the stack that I was talking about, where you allocate buffer space and variables, well you don't run buffers. You read and write them. You don't execute them. So those are you know three different operations: read, write, and execute. So the stack would be marked no execute, meaning that any attempt to overwrite the stack, to overwrite a buffer and execute on the stack, would immediately result in the processor terminating the the or, or in the operating system receiving notification of this violation and the OS would just terminate the process in instantly bang it just you know the attempt to execute that instruction the first instruction that attempted to be executed in that space would would never complete what does the that me- look like to the user do they get a blue screen do they get um, what they get is a sort of annoying warning, and in fact, anybody who has tried to turn on DEP, like 
there, 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 there are four ways that DEP can run, and here, this, is, this is one of the problems with its actual implementation in the real world. Um, and we, we talked about how Microsoft has a, an opt-in policy for DEP rather than an opt-out policy. And of course, you know, we, we talk about opt-in and opt-out relative to cookies and spying and everything. And this, this is sort of similar. The idea is that you can, if, if you turn your OS, um, if you, you boot it with the, with DEP in opt-in, I'm sorry, in opt-out mode, meaning that it is normally on, but you, you opt out specific things, Every so often, you get dialog boxes. In fact, I got Internet Explorer itself. I'm sorry, Windows Explorer itself gave me a DEP error just yesterday because on my laptop, I mean, I try to run with DEP enabled, and I can I can vouch for the fact that it's painful. There are programs that are not DEP compatible. Thus, in thus in XP and even in Vista. The, the the data execution protection that is so valuable is opt-in. Now, programs can be assembled with the so-called NX Compat flag, meaning that when, when they're when they are assembled and linked, they can they can have a flag built into them that says, I am DEP compatible. So Microsoft has been very good to their credit, throughout all of the the OS components and even their own applications to rebuild them after checking to make sure that they were DEP-friendly with this NX compatibility flag. So Windows itself is running with DEP enabled, as are Microsoft's apps. The problem is there's a lot more in Windows than the code that comes from Microsoft. And many other vendors and the, the the vendors of many critical components for example like flash from from originally macromedia now adobe um and even the sun virtual machine their technologies especially in the case of 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 java java has deliberately has readable writable and executable memory so because of the way it operates so it's a big target and so many of these third-party things which you can pretty much depend upon you know flash player is installed in the in the nine high 90 percentile of of windows machines so you can count on it being there so um so as i mentioned that the dep operates in either you can either have it completely off in opt-in which is a little more secure than off completely but not much in opt-out which is Certainly more secure. There you're saying by default, we anything that isn't marked specifically compatible, we're going to assume it is. But if it blows up on you, you know, you get an, an annoying dialog box that says, oh, we've termed, you know, DEP execution error. This, you know, Windows is terminating the execution of this application. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, and again, it's, uh, it happened to me in Windows Explorer the other day. So it's not quite as DEP friendly as Microsoft was thinking. Um, so, um, and then the, 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 the fourth is always on, which is to say, DEP is on, it is enabled, nothing can turn it off. Well, it would be wonderful if we could run our machines that way. The problem is, 
they won't run that way. There are known programs that have to have depth disabled. And so, so part of the problem that these guys have talked about is the fact that there are, even in this day and age, using the latest versions of everything in a contemporary Windows system, Windows Vista, the most recent service pack, you know, running the latest and greatest, there are enough programs that have that well and vista by default is remember is opt in so there are there are enough programs that have not yet deliberately marked themselves as dep enabled that vista will not enable dep for them since you have to explicitly ask for it because of because there's just too many incompatibilities still because those programs are not enabled that way there are plenty of of opportunities for exploit even though we're at Vista Service Pack 1 and you know Microsoft talks about how powerful DEP data execution protection is it turns out it's not really it would be if you could leave it on and it would run all the time on every program it, it, it is an old habit of programmers to put data uh, code in the data areas which is essentially why DEP doesn't work for these guys right well it it's frankly i mean it's, it's a bad a very, habit but it's well, a habit actually it's very useful um, there are there have been there are situations where you actually need to execute data. I mean that's right. what interpretation is. A, a, a good fast interpreter right. can 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 actually execute some of the data that it's reading. Um, back in the old days of Windows, back when before we had display acceleration, where we didn't have a, a so-called hardware blitter. That, that that would blast rectangles around the screen, which mm-hmm. is so important for these, you know, everything in Windows is, is, is a rectangle of some sort. Um, Microsoft's original GDI, the graphics display interface code, it would look at the job it was being asked to do. And so much of it is repetitive and involves loops and counters when, when, when you're moving data around and you're having to, like, shift the bits by strange amounts in mm-hmm. order to cause them to be bit aligned on the screen, the original GDI actually built the, the, the blitter on the fly on the stack and then ran it. It, it executed it. So, so there, you know, you, the, the Microsoft went, I mean, they were going to all kinds of trouble to make Windows run at an acceptable performance on an old 4.77 megahertz you know, PC, an old, you know, 8088 or 8086, um, and they had to, you know, pull out the stops. So there are there are times when executing on the stack is, or executing data that is deliberately variable is is very useful. And and when you think about it, technically, anything coming over the wire is data, you know? So if something d- downloads into your browser and says, hey, I, uh, I'm an ActiveX control you just uh, loaded. Would you, you know, give me permission to run? It's like, well, okay, that's data, but we're executing it. Right. So, right. I so, get, okay, so you make a credible case that there are time. And as an assembly language programmer, is that so- something you do a lot? Mm, not really. I'm not. I can't think of a place where I have. Yeah. Um, but it, I, so I we're not going to see the end of it. I mean, is it doesn't functional programming or so? I mean, doesn't don't know more modern programming techniques make it less necessary? To do well, this? it's certainly dangerous. And we're we're we, you're right that we're moving toward an era where depth will be turned on, where right. there will be, you know, increasing pressure 
on people. Certainly after this paper has come out where these guys demonstrate clearly the exploitability of Flash, which is not DEP compatible. It's like, okay, Adobe, oh, if you want, yeah. your, you want your code in my machine, yeah. you know, you make it safe. Because we've seen a bunch of Flash exploits here in, in the last few months. And, you know, this wouldn't be possible if, if Adobe would do the work. I don't care how hard it is. It's certainly possible to code around this. That is to say, you know, I guess to answer the question you were asking, Leo, is, is it absolutely necessary to execute data? And I would argue no. Right. There, you, you, you could, it is possible for an application to explicitly, you, you're able to use something called virtual alloc, the virtual allocation commands in Windows. If you want to allocate executable pages, you can. But, it, but you could set it up so that you know, the, the, the software knows it needs to execute something that is in, a, you know, in data, so it explicitly sets itself up with permission to do so. Basically, this is laziness. In this day and age, for Flash still not to be marked as, as DEP-friendly when it is in a highly vulnerable environment. It's not like it's something down on your tray. It's in your browser. Mm-hmm. And we know what a target browsers are just by their very nature. I mean, in fact, the whole focus of this paper was specifically browser vulnerability. Now... Another thing that has been done that Microsoft did to further complicate things is this ASLR, address space layout randomization. One of the one of the key things that hackers do is they're they're able to use code that's already in the system. It they they like they look at the disassembly of Windows and they say, "Oh, look at this. This code, if I jump into it, right in this weird spot where it was never designed for anyone to jump in, I can get it to do some work for me that I need done. And so, for example, sometimes the, the first thing that a, that a malicious hack will do is it will jump to somewhere in Windows in a way that Windows was never designed for and execute a little chunk of code that then hits a return instruction that comes back to where it came from. So the, the, the hacker, the, the, the malicious exploiter, has just gotten somebody else's code, you know, Windows code typically, to execute on their behalf in a way that Windows never intended. Then maybe they jump somewhere else and they make something else happen. They don't even have to supply their own code. They just use code that's already in the operating system that's known to be in a specific location. And that's the key of address space layout randomization. Ah. Microsoft Microsoft figured, okay, we're getting hacked all the time because people because we always load Windows in the same way. We load ntdll.dll, then we load csrss, you know, we 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 stack these dlls in a in a specific totally predictable fashion. Therefore, we're setting ourselves up as a target. Let's randomize the layout. So that literally every single time the system boots, the DL, the main core Windows DLLs load in a different place. So it's no longer nec- it's no longer possible to have a fixed pointer which you know is going to point at a useful piece of code in in win- that, that exists in Windows. It's going to be in a different place every time. Now, the problem is 
the details, of course, the implementation. What Microsoft has done is they take an 8-bit value from the timestamp counter. All Intel processors have an instruction, which I do use all the time, called RDTSC, read timestamp counter. That is, it's a screamingly fast counter. It literally is a counter of the clock, which means three giga counts per second. And so, I mean, this thing, there's just so much variation with, with the, the, the rotation rate of the hard drive, keyboard clicks, mouse clicks. You know, there's, there's no way that the same count is going to be pulled from this little counter, which is screaming at, at three giga counts per second. So Microsoft pulls the, the eight bits from the counter, multiplies it by 64K, and uses that, oh, except they never use a value zero. There was a bug in the first version of, of Vista where it would use, where if it got a zero, it just made it a one, which meant that there, I mean, this is a small bug, but it meant that there was twice the chance that you would be at the location one versus um, two through 255 because you turned a zero into a one. They fixed that so that they completely smoothed out the statistics of of what value you were going to get when you pulled th- this value multiplied by 64. So they multiply by 64K, and that sets, um, th- that value is added to the that executable's preferred load point um, in memory. So essentially, as Windows now boots um, um, in Vista and in, uh, in, in Windows 2008, but not in XP or 2003. So in Vista and Windows 2008, as it loads, it's randomizing these things. Okay, here's the problem. Address space layout randomization only works if everything in the machine is randomized. That makes sense. I mean, you know, you, you don't want any code to be in known fixed locations. Turns out that only newer executables, that is Xs and DLLs, that are explicitly marked as ASLR compatible will be randomized because Microsoft also learned the hard way, no doubt during the early testing of this, that there was code that expected to be loaded where it said it wanted to be loaded. Individual executables contain what's called the image base address, which is where they want to be loaded. Well, it turns out that unfortunately some programmers have made their own programs dependent upon the load, the load location that they specify, and they, they don't work if you load them anywhere else. And, unfortunately, again, as is the case for, for data execution prevention, this is, this is the case for tons of non-Windows components, that is, non-core OS components, which is what Microsoft has successfully randomized, but that leads a, leaves a wide open field of, of other things that are very popular, known to probably be in the system, and can be invoked through the browser. So anything, for example, um, provided by ISVs, you know, ActiveX controls, browser extensions, uh, protocol handles, uh, handlers for, for, for browsers, and especially image parsers or codecs, you know, are generally not yet ASLR compliant, so they won't be randomized. And again, a, a hacker who knows nothing about your computer can inject something into your browser that will cause it to 
cause it to cause something else to load in a known location and that can be exploited. And again, these guys demonstrate that. It's pretty that's pretty incredible. So what do we do? Well, um, essentially, this is a this is a wake up call. Yeah. For, you know, again, it's a cat cat and mouse game. This is a wake up call, I would say, for for developers everywhere. For example, when when I'm when I'm developing um, my forthcoming VPN product, CryptoLink, I will absolutely always be linking it with the with ASLR um, enabled and with the NX compatibility flag enabled all throughout development so that if at any point I do something which is position dependent or writing into its own memory, I'll instantly know and go whoops and fix that so that when I ship the product, it, it will fundamentally be as secure as it can be. I certainly don't want you know my own code to be exploitable by some malicious hacker somewhere through the web browser. I mean, I can't imagine how that would happen, but, you know, this is the way these things happen. So, so really, it's now, it's, it's like Microsoft has done really everything they can. When you look at the details, and I've skipped over tons of details, but there's, they're re, they, Microsoft, I take my hat off to them, they have really bent over backwards to, to thwart every possible exploit mechanism based on looking at exploits and and not only just chasing after them reactively but now really getting proactive the problem is windows is a rich environment that runs you know it's it's extremely heterogeneous with with, with bits and pieces coming from all over the place and it really is necessary now for all of the other players to, to work with Microsoft, to work, I mean, they don't need Microsoft's permission. They just need to turn these things on, take the time to stop being lazy about this and get their stuff to work so that, so that these latest protection measures can be employed. Uh, all right. So, but again, there's nothing in the, in, in the interim. Is there something to worry about? Are people, are these exploits in the wild yet? Are we, uh, is, I mean, well, Okay, this was a theoretical paper that said, okay, you guys are so impressed with DEP and ASLR. And, I mean, there's other things, too, that I didn't talk about. Structured exception handling, stack cookies, heap spraying. There's just all kinds of stuff. Oh, I have to say this, though. Get a load of this. Okay, we know with with IE7 that... It's much more secure than 6 was. One of the nice things about IE7 that I really appreciate is you get a pop-up notice when any ActiveX control that you haven't seen before is downloaded and the web page you're visiting wants to run it. Well, Microsoft is so fond of their new .NET framework. And because it's supposed to run in a sandbox, very much like Java does, and, and be safe... They said, oh, we don't need to warn anybody about .NET. So they don't. And it's exploitable in the same way that ActiveX has been. Mm. But we get no notice and no warning, no pop-up. Now, the good news is you can go in the default configuration of Internet Explorer. The good news is you can go in and turn off .NET permissions. So one takeaway from this, the good news is .NET 
doesn't have much penetration today. I'm not aware of anything browser-wise that runs it, but it is as a consequence of this paper, these guys demonstrate .NET silently exploiting Internet Explorer under Windows. So I would immediately turn off .NET execution in Internet Explorer. Just say no to that. Wow. You, I mean, that turns it, off a lot of stuff. Well, .NET? No, I don't, I'm not sure that it does. Uh, Silverlight? Doesn't Silverlight rely on .NET? Oh, darn. <laughs> uh, it turns off, the, well, I mean, the Olympics are over, thank goodness, but uh, I think that turns off a lot of stuff. I'm, I may well, be wrong. Um, I've got it turned off, and I haven't run across anything so far. But well, uh, for but sure, right. Silverlight. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, Silverlight is is. I mean, that's a classic Microsoft. You know, .NET. Oh, here you go. Yeah, <laughs> give this a try. I mean, and it'll be exploited tomorrow. Well, um, just as Flash was. I mean, and in some ways, it's kind yeah. of similar, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, and again, the the problem is that Microsoft assumed, as they always do, yeah. that they're not going to have any problems. Yeah. They have never not had any problems. It's very clear that in security, you should ex- assume the complete opposite, that you absolutely will have problems. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, you have to. Um, so, so essentially... The OS is providing the tools. Now, to answer your question, Leo, one thing users could try is what I have tried, and that is to have to to switch your windows to opt out so that rather than rather opt out than, on DEP. On DEP. Yeah. So that and, and you do that with a boot any switch. We've talked about DEP in, in, in length um, um, in detail, and in fact my, my little securable freeware app shows you instantly whether your processor supports the NX hardware bit, which is necessary in order for hardware depth to be useful. There is something called software depth, which is, well, I mean, they, they, they were unhappy when they first released data execution prevention because at that time there wasn't a huge install base of processors that supported it. And so they said, oh, well, but we have software depth and it doesn't require any hardware. It also isn't very useful. I mean, which is, even that is giving it too much credit. So I don't even know how you would do software DEP, and it doesn't have to be in hardware. And isn't this in the processor? Doesn't Intel have the DEP processor in there? Oh, yeah. Well, it'll be, yeah. I mean, Intel the DEP and capability. AMD, it, since 2004, right. um, all, all processors have had this NX flag. So it's right. only really old oh, machines. Oh, AMD, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, AMD, I think, did it first. It was, it'll only be really old machines that, that will not have it. Um, and so, so one thing users, I mean, really security conscious users could do, as I do, is to run with DEP in its opt-out mode, where then by default, applications will have it turned on. As you learn that specific apps are not happy, then you are able to put them in a list of leave DEP off for only these apps. And, and you can then sort of evolve. It's, you know, it's sort of like the way a personal firewall works where by default it's blocking everything then you learn oh wait email needs to get out ie needs to get out you know messenger needs to get out so you you know you add exceptions to the prevent all rule so that those things which you know and want to have access to the internet are able to similarly with with dep operating in opt out mode where it's on by default you would be You'd be giving, you know, you you'd be learning which apps were not DEP compatible. So you say, oh, okay, fine. I mean, and you could decide like whether you care about this particular app and want 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 to run it or give it permission or not. Right. And so over time, you evolve, and that's certainly going to be more secure. But it's not perfect. It's uh, I'm I'm impressed with Microsoft having given us now with Vista 
the tools to make these exploits much more difficult. It is very common applications like Silverlight, like Flash, you know, commonly used components or, or even media player that are invocable by the browser and still not yet safe that is really now the, the main target of exploitation. Okay, uh, I guess we got to get ready for uh, for a whole wave of uh, exploits on this. And uh, how quickly do you think Microsoft could fix something like this? Well, the problem is this isn't Microsoft's problem. I mean, for example, these guys demonstrate using Java exploits. So it's using, everywhere. Using Flash exploits. Yeah. Yes, it, it's these. It's people. It's the third parties that have very popular, often present. Um, code that now need to, to belly up and 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 make their stuff work as well as Microsoft has the core Windows components. They need to have, you know, to be very careful with data execution pre- prevention and the uh, ASLR randomization. They need to be compatible with those things so that they, too, will be loading in random locations, not known fixed locations, and that that the that they're less exploitable by malicious code right now you know those are essentially you know windows used to be the so-called you know uh, low hanging fruit right. well basically we we ate all of that and uh, and now <laughs> now <laughs> we got we got it all we you know it was low hanging and it was easy pickings so so now it's the the very popular non-Microsoft components, which are lagging behind even Microsoft in in taking advantage of the security features that are now in XP and Vista, you know, they need to get going and make themselves secure. Wow. So it sounds like a really pretty big mess out there. I mean, we all uh, reasonably assumed that these two technologies and, and others also named in the paper would be would be, you know, the panacea, the magic bullet for security. Well, and and just to to, to finish, let me read the conclusion of the paper because it sums it up beautifully. They say, in this paper, we demonstrated, I mean, and they did, they've got code samples. We demonstrated that the memory protection mechanisms available in the latest versions of Windows are not always effective when it comes to preventing the exploitation of memory corruption vulnerabilities in browsers. They raise the bar, but the attacker still has a good chance of being able to bypass them. Two factors contribute to this problem. The degree to which the browser state is controlled by the attacker and the extensible plug-in architecture of modern browsers. The internal state of the browser is determined to a large extent by the untrusted and potentially malicious data it processes. The complexity of HTML combined with the power of JavaScript and VBScript DOM scripting, .NET, Java, and Flash give the attacker an unprecedented degree of control over the browser process and its memory layout. The second factor is the open architecture of the browser, which allows third-party extensions and plugins to execute in the same process and with the same level of privilege. This not only means that any vulnerability in Flash, for example, affects the security of the entire browser, but also that a missing protection mechanism in a third-party DLL can enable the exploitation of vulnerabilities in all other browser components. 
And then they, they finally say the authors expect these problems to be addressed in future releases of Windows and browser plugins shipped by third parties. So future uh, versions of Windows sounds a little bit like it ain't going to happen uh, tomorrow. Well, yes, and the problem is Microsoft has tried to turn these things on, and they've gotten bitten. You know, I mean, this is this is always the case, and, and this is what we talked about when we first talked about DEP and ASLR, why they were generally off by default, right. but Microsoft was sort of creeping forward trying to have them be on. Oh, and get this. Um, you know how Vista 64 um, is substantially more secure? For example, they have DEP on for all 64-bit processes, oh, interesting. And, can, and it cannot be turned off. Oh, interesting. So, but, that, so that's possible. But, oh. i.e., <laughs> Internet Explorer is a 32-bit process. Right. It's a, a 32-bit process under Win64, and so it is policy-driven. It's driven mm. by the depth policy in the system, not turned on and enforced. That's really So it's like, okay, Microsoft, get going. Yeah. You know, fix this. Uh, do other operating systems like Linux and uh, uh, OS X, are they also using these kinds of techniques to protect themselves, and are they also vulnerable? Well, yeah, and in fact, address-based layout randomization is not a new thing. Windows is like the last OS uh-huh. to come along and implement this. Um, this has been around for a long time. This is a classic case of Microsoft being the big target. I mean, you know, for example, we're seeing, you know, an increasing number of Mac uh, exploits and vulnerabilities now. I mean, those are happening. You know, we're getting we're getting security patches from 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 Apple at an unprecedented rate compared to the past because Hackers have Macs now. It used to be that they predominantly had Windows machines. Now they've got Macs, and they're poking around in there. I mean, fundamentally, we're dealing with phenomenally complicated systems, and complexity is the enemy of security. Anytime it's complex, you can't really be sure about every side effect and 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 feature and bug, and bugs will bite you. Yeah. Apparently, IE8 will have uh, will have DEP turned on because it's going to be, a, I guess, a 32-bit process. But uh, and there's some debate over whether Silverlight uses .NET. I I remember it. I was pretty sure it did use .NET. But uh, um, actually, it's IE8, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Leo, because I wanted to rem- I wanted to mention this. IE8 and Firefox three do the IE8 beta, and Firefox three both have the NX compatibility flag on so they are opting in to dep and so that's i know that there have been some people that have said ah firefox 2 is working just fine for me it's like okay oh, no, get firefox 3 yeah firefox 3 makes a lot of sense if only because the the, the developers developed it with dep on it's been vetted with dep on and it marks itself as dep capable and so all versions of windows from vista forward will turn dep on in firefox 3 and you want that buffer overrun protection for anything that that might be going on in Firefox three. Uh, so your recommendation is to, to is to is to use the opt in setting of DEP now. Is that right? I would um, in it's a mix. It, it's a mixed blessing. Um, I, I mean, it will cause you some problems. It's why Microsoft didn't set it up that way. They would love to have Windows be more secure, but it, there are things that will cause problems. And in fact, in this case where where even Windows Explorer gave me a DEP execution error yesterday, I just restarted it and it was fine. It was, you know, 
<laughs> right. You know, Windows. It doesn't crash. It just restart. You restart. It just well, says you can't do okay, that. Right. All of Windows does not crash. No. Um, the program just, stops. Yes, just Windows Explorer. It right. I clicked yes, it shut down, and of course Microsoft saw, oh look, Windows Explorer is no longer running. That's bad, and it restarted it for me. Right. So it, that's not know, so bad. Came back. This portion of the show brought to you as always by the good folks at Astaro. We really uh, love them, and we really appreciate their support for the show going into its third year now, which is pretty amazing. Astaro makes the amazing Staro Security Gateway which is uh, the ideal way to protect your small or medium uh, business network, superior protection from spam, from viruses, from hackers, complete VPN, by the way, using SSL, which makes it easy. It's, I mean, I, look, at, I've got a whole notebook here of stuff it does. It's got open PGP and S-Mine encryption, decryption, and digital signatures at the box so your, your users don't have to know about it. It just happens magically. Three kinds of antivirus, all in a, a little box the size of a router. It's amazing. Now... As your business grows, so does Astaro with you. You can uh, actually uh, um, use as many as 10 Astaro security gateways in parallel so that you, you, you with this built-in kind of active-active clustering, so that you don't have to install load balancers or anything. It just does it automatically. It's a patent-pending technology, they tell me. The new V7 also allows home users to use it for free, including the Astaro up-to-date subscription, which, uh, which, which is a great deal. You can use it either as a VMware appliance or you can uh, install it on you know any beige box you got lying around but look at let, let me talk to the business folks you really want to get this demo unit in your business right now so you want to call them 877 the number four astaro that's a-s-t-a-r-o 877-427-8276 i'm really talking to the it guys right now 877-427-8276 if you've been looking for unified threat management if you're a Cisco PIX user and you're and you're hitting the end of the road there, there's a deal for you, by the way, a special discount. Call them or visit them online. A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. Astaro. That's the name to remember when it comes to securing your business online. And when it comes to securing your computer, there's one guy. There's the man, Mr. Steve Gibson from GRC.com. He saves lives. Who- how did I know you were going to use that segue, Leo? <laughs> I'm the king of segways, baby. <laughs> yes, I am. So, uh, uh, Steve, it's really great to uh, talk to you. It's uh, I'm glad to get this particular subject out of the way because I think there's been a lot of questions in the community, even in the expert community. What does this mean? Does this yeah. mean we have to freak out? Is Vista no longer secure? Uh, what do we do? Where do we go forward? And at least understanding uh, what, what was a very technical talk, it really helps to kind of get get some understanding in there. So we yeah, can... it's it, you know it's not big news. It's mostly just sort of a wake up call. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 a reality check that yeah. says okay, you know these things are available, but they are not being taken advantage of universally, mm-hmm. and it's not until they are that will be increasingly safe. Are and can be. Yeah, I mean it's not it's in many cases we can't. And that's kind of frustrating, too. Okay, Steve, hey, it's great to talk to you. Next week, we got a Q&A session. How do people get their questions to you? Yep, they want to go to grc.com slash feedback, where there's a form they can submit. And uh, by all means, uh, love people's questions. It's great to get them, and then it helps us build a really great Q&A episode every other week. So, yeah. yeah. While you're at GRC, don't forget, you can get the 16 kilobit versions of the show there. You can get, uh, of course, the transcripts that Elaine does, all the show notes. It's all available at GRC.com, along with SpinWrite, the program that saves lives. 
saving more lives every day. <laughs> it's an amazing program. The ultimate disk maintenance and recovery utility, GRC.com. Also, a lot of free security stuff, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, including Shields Up, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator. And watch for some new stuff coming soon. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Leo. Talk Thanks, to you next Steve. week. Take care. Security now.